Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with T.S. O'Connell and Rich Klein. We just had a conversation, three of us, old-timers, I think, sponsors, Topps Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comsey.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We're talking mostly about the good old days, some good stories, and here it is. What was your favorite year where the hobby was at the peak for you? When you came to Krause, when you were doing your sets? For me, I guess it would be 83 when I came out with those baseball great sets because I was pretty proud of it. <laughs> and after New York State unloaded me, I was scared to death because that was back when $2,500 was a lot of money. I wasn't sure how I was going to pay it back. But obviously, it all worked out. I had the loan paid off by the fall. If you remember, Jim, you and Rich probably remembers Judy Kay. Yeah, she ordered, really? she ordered 500 sets of my baseball greats, and I was ecstatic. It was the biggest check I'd ever seen. Judy and Norman oh, yeah. were the small set specialists. I think. Right. Norman yeah. passed a few years ago, and Judy, I guess, has family down here. She moved to Dallas a couple of years ago. She's not right. obviously in the hobby. Otherwise, we'd see her at the shows. Oh, I'm sorry, Rich. I thought Judy had passed. If she has, it's in the last couple of years because I spoke oh. to her about two years ago. Oh, great. The other thing, T.S., you are honored to have received a cease and desist. (laughs) That means you caught the attention, and I thought your sets were cool. People don't realize the creative spark you had just to do the artwork. Not everybody can do that. But once that's done, there's additional hard work of the distribution and the production. The distribution is not trivial. Because I remember I got a set because I tried to get one of everything, but it's hard to get visibility for a new product. But apparently, like I said, you got the visibility of Major League Baseball to say, hey, so that's a level of success. That's a feather in your cap. (laughs) I I forgot to mention that when I started it, I asked permission from Tops. Really? Yeah. And I wish I'd saved it. I had a letter from Joel Shoren. I asked permission of Tops to do a baseball card set. And I was going to replicate the 1959 design. No, they were. It was homage to uh, to, uh, 59 59. with a circle. Or the and, old yeah. Or whatever it is. yeah, and Joel Shorn sent me a really nice letter that essentially said, "You won't have any problem with us." He said, "But my approval doesn't doesn't <laughs> extend beyond it." And I didn't even realize I was trying to focus mostly on retired players, so I was pretty naive in terms of understanding licensing and all that kind of well, stuff. I'm so glad you went forward and and did it because I, I think they're cool cards. You mentioned something else. You like the idea of marrying art to baseball cards. Now, in the era just before you started collecting, based on what you've told me about your age, with the early Tops and Bowman sets were art-driven more than they were photography. You know, photo-driven. Eventually, they're photo-driven. The 53 Tops and the early Bowmans there, they're Wonderful paintings. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've often wondered why we never see very many of the original artwork from those early Bowmans. Sets because I know what happened with the, the 53 tops. Cy Berger had a zillion of them, some of which he rescued when they tried to put him in a dumpster. So those had a, a nice ending. I'm not sure why and I don't George see more Wall, of them. He was a big guy from Bowman. You would see these articles in Sports Collectors Digest. Yeah. He'd walk around the Philly show and he sold quite a bit of the original Bowman stuff. So there's a lot of it around, but I think a lot of it is residing in private collections and has and it, not seen the light of day for a long time. Yeah, it doesn't come up for auction. Yeah. And that'd be really cool. Could you imagine the original painting, if it exists for the 51 Bowman mantle, just how oh. much that would be? Yeah. But most of those were done 
very close to not much bigger than the actual card. So they're, they were very unique in that sense that because usually paintings are larger and <coughs> reduced down. Yeah, because yeah. there's always artwork on cards. Bob Parker did a set of cards in the '70s. He did several series. Steve Mitchell did some stuff in the '80s. Oh, well. I love Steve Mitchell stuff. And yeah, he only did two sets basically, and that's it. And Steve's still around. Steve still posts on Net Fifty Four, so he's still around. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'd love to sports scoop. Yeah, Diamond Classics or something. Diamond I forget. They were neat. Two okay. really cool sets. Yeah, I'm wondering whether the Current generation adequately appreciates the Perez Steel Hall of Fame postcard series from 1980 on. And my concern is that when they stepped away from that in 2000 and stopped adding to the set, that it, it essentially created a generation that's not familiar with that wonderful series. And now, other than the biggies, I don't know that those cards are appreciated dollar-wise the way they ought to be. Basically. Two things. One is the size, and the other is the distribution method by subscription. So the aftermarket was active. I think it'd be more active if the cards were standard size because they're but beautiful. Doesn't, they're absolutely beautiful. Yeah, but doesn't the fact that they haven't added to it, isn't that the biggest impediment? But I'm guessing that some of the licensing entities increased the price. Frank Steele, actually, when he passed, he funded an intern program for the Hall of Fame. So obviously... So he was still in tight with the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame and Dick yeah. Perez is still doing art still himself. But you're right, T.S. There is something to be said that if we could ever bring back the Perez Steele oh. style, because it was ongoing. I would love to get some of the more modern players to sign the cards in that style. That would just be a cool thing. That's one of the few oversized cards that when they get signed, hey, it's really cool. They are just gorgeous. I was, uh, Except, uh, uh, Top, Tops and Panini both in the baseball realm are doing a lot of retired yeah. players and Hall of Famers and things like that. So I think people are still aware of the Hall of Famers. But if you're just speaking to the beauty of Dick Perez's art and Frank Steele's concept, it ought to live on with a living set. I agree with you. In a perfect world, it would be. And it might be something to do with Frank Steele not being around anymore because I think he was the commercial driving force. Yeah, I was friends with Frank in, in particular and Peggy. I'd even been to their house a couple of times because yeah. back when I lived around Philadelphia, I just... <laughs> think that's a, one of the great pioneering sets of the 1980s. But that happens. Look, I mean, the original Bowmans, when a Today collector thinks about Bowman, they think about it as the home of prospects, young players. And yet the original Bowman sets were just as much superstar driven. So you're right. The world changes. And I'd love to see a modern Perez Steel set. I think we all would. And I wouldn't mind seeing a T.S. O'Connell and Sunset <laughs> either brought, brought to the modern day with whatever you could do. I think that'd be cool. That'd be a nice uh, project at this point for you. I don't know if it's still being done, but I, for many years, I know Dick Perez continued to, to do the artwork of the new inductee Hall of Famers, even though there wasn't a card set produced from it. But I think I said, a lot of doing art. He still, he still sells stuff. So I would not be surprised if the six guys or so who got selected by the various veterans committees already have painting done or a Dick Perez painting done. Yeah. T.S., what do you think about the difference between like fine art and pop art in terms of the hobby in the sense that Dick Perez is not impressionistic or, or old master or anything, but he's a very talented artist, his own style and baseball card art can be more like pop art and it can be more like fine art. And it seems Dick Perez straddled that it was art that you could be proud of that really had an interesting likeness to the player. I think you tried to follow in that 
footstep as well. It wasn't realistic as much as it had some element to it that was interesting. When you asked me about O'Connell and Sun Inc., I was trying to remember if I was aware of the Dick Perez series when I started the Baseball Greats thing, but it's neither here nor there. His stuff is remarkable. I think trying to straddle the difference between fine art and more commercial art, I think you just have to ignore it and wink at it. Anybody who's ever looked at Dick Perez's, I'm sure you guys have seen the massive book, the self-published book, leather covered that he's done of all his paintings. Anybody that produces that and those series of cards has no apologies to give to fine artists or anybody else. They've created a masterpiece and it'll live on whether Dick Perez artworks never sells for Honus Wagner T206 money. That's fine, but it's still wonderful stuff. But I'm saying he does versions. He's done people more than once. He's an artist for the collectors. It's not for a museum. It's card art. He took it to the next level and putting it in the sets with the Donruss Diamond Kings and things like that. I think there's a lot to it. And the artistic element needs to get its due in the end. Rich, what was your favorite year? I, I was thinking about that. And there's a lot of favorite years. But I could always say 1990, the year you hired me. It's very kind of you, Rich. But, uh, but it, it's probably to some extent in the early 90s when pre-strike 91, 92, 93, uh, when hot. we were just sailing. And it was just fun. Even with the bad things you hear, it was just so much fun to know that the market's exploding, just like it is today in a different way. 2020 was a pretty good year, all things considered despite all the pandemic issues. And if you look at it that way, they're all good years because you know what? As long as we enjoy the hobby, every year is a good year. So there's probably no favorite year unless you go back to being a kid and say, I can't top 1969 or I can't top 1970 or TS can't top 59 or 60, his favorite sets. You probably can't top 60 or 61 when your Pirates won the World Series and you were collecting a full bore. You never can match your childhood. But other than that, every year is a good year. My best year, I think, when I put it in the context of what you guys have said, is probably 1979 in the sense that was the last year, sad to say, it's the last year I could wear all the hats. I was a collector. I was a dealer. I don't know that I was an investor at that point, but I, I could collect. I could deal. I could have tables at shows. And yet I was an author that year and a publisher. I was doing all these things I enjoyed, but all of which added up to overload. So I had to give up the dealing. But, but days were simpler. And 79, if I'd known that, I would never have sold a thing in 1979. I would put everything back. But you had to sell some stuff to have money to buy other stuff. The hobby exploded so much in 1979. Frank Barning wrote an article about the, the boom of the hobby. And the big quote from Donnie Lepore is, everybody who thinks they're an expert sold stuff and they never should have sold anything. But that's the same thing is true today. So you're right. We buy and we sell. One of my very best deals and one of my worst deals involved Donnie Lepore. Oh, I remember Donnie. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Larger than life. But anyway, this is not about him. Yeah. But, uh, at any rate, I'm <laughs> saying, but that's right. In the same year, I had a horrible deal with him and a great deal with him. So on, on balance, everything's fine. And in no way did he take advantage of me or vice versa. It just worked out in hindsight that one deal was spectacularly good for me and one was spectacularly good for him. Sure. You, you can't be in the, in the hobby without having a few great coups where you made a lot of money and, and you're going to make mistakes. If you don't want to ever lose a nickel, then you can't play. I, I, you know, I remember Tom Reed called me up one day and I go to a store and he says, I need $1,200. I 
And he had gotten a bunch of the leftovers of Buck Barker stuff. Basically, I got all the high numbers, all the post-serial cards. One of the few things I regret selling ever was I had some cards with his name on the back of it. That's one of the few things I wish I had kept. In In pencil, too. In pencil. But that deal, and I was a decent dealer before that, but that deal with what he gave me that day, it was good money. $1,200 in 83 is a lot of money. (laughs) But what he gave me that day boosted me from a good dealer to a national level dealer. We're talking about great days in the hobby. Jim's talking about 79, and we talked earlier about 80, 80, 81, 82, when Bob Lemke convinced Chet Krause to do Baseball Card Magazine and also did SCD. That whole period deserves an article or a hobby book just for what it's set up for the next 30 years. Jim, you did the baseball book, the football, basketball, and hockey. I don't know if hockey was in the 79 book. The baseball alphabetical book. In 79, Frank Barney starts Baseball Hobby News. Mark Lewis and Warren Karp starts CPU, which was a monthly price guide. By 81, Krause has taken over. They're doing Baseball Card Magazine. They've bought out sports collectors. There's a three-year period of just knowledge starting to go from the, you really have to be into it and have to get the trader speaks and things like that to becoming a lot more accessible. And that whole period of just pure accessibility is one of the most amazing periods of our time. I wonder if that gave you the impetus to do your set. If you were brilliant, you would have held back some number of your sets. And then you could retire off those because they go for way more now than they did at the time. When Krause pushed me out the door in 2011, I thought I was going to be leaving the area. I quick (laughs) ran over my whole inventory to Larry Fritch. So I sold way too much. I'm not even sure if I have any copies of the baseball greats. I might have to buy them someday from Fritch. But I, I, in essence, sold my whole inventory thinking I didn't want to travel with it. 